you to take your Bibles, if you would, please, now. We open them to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And we're continuing to take uh, 1 Corinthians and the scriptures that we read here just as they come to us. So that means that there are some subjects that come up that perhaps we prefer not to deal with. Last week, I spoke about good marriage advice from Dr. Paul, the marriage counselor. But this week, we have to talk about trouble in marriage. What happens when there is trouble in the marriage? And what does the Bible have to say about divorce? Now, these aren't subjects that I normally preach on, but this is something that we need to talk about because we have it right here in 1 Corinthians. And as I said, we're going right through the scriptures and we don't leave anything out. So we're going to talk about this subject today. Tammy Wynette sang the song, Stand By Your Man. But evidently she didn't stand very long because she ended up singing D-I-V-O-R-C-E. Now this might surprise you somewhat, but there was a Baptist minister, a former Baptist minister, uh, who lived in Blythe, California. His name was Glenn Scotty Wolf, and he actually held the record for the numbers of times that a person has been married. Now, that was a former Baptist preacher. He died at 88 years old. He'd been married 29 times. His shortest marriage was 38 days. His longest marriage was five years. He was married on Christmas Day, on New Year's Day, four times on Valentine's Day, Thanksgiving Day, 4th of July, and then, of course, other dates scattered throughout the year. And someone asked him, they said, now, in this age when there are so many people that live together without marriage, why did you go through marriage 29 times? And his answer was really classic. He said, I didn't want to live in sin. Well, Mr. Wolf, Mr. Wolf apparently did not understand that you can live in sin even if you're married. Now, the Bible doesn't have a lot to say about marriage and divorce. But this is one of the places that people go to learn something about it. And unfortunately, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is a scripture that many people simply do not understand. Now, we're going to look at it today, and we're going to try to explain the scriptures. What about divorce? Is it all right for Christians to get a divorce? Let's stand, if you would, please, as we read God's word today. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, we're going to begin with verse number 10. We'll read uh, two or three verses here, and then we'll stop there and read the rest of the text down to verse number 24 as we go through the message. But we start here with verse number 10, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And unto the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord, let not the wife depart from her husband. But, and if she depart, let her remain unmarried, or be reconciled to her husband, and let not the husband put away his wife. But to the rest speak I, not the Lord. If any brother hath a wife that believeth not, and she be pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away. Heavenly Father, as we think about this subject today, I ask you, Lord, that you'd open our minds to the truth of your word. Help us to understand what you would have for us here today. And Lord, may we know that your word is always truth. We're to believe everything that you say. And we trust you, Lord, that you will give us the right answers from your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Let's go back now to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse number 1, because this is where we really get the context for what Paul is talking about here in the rest of this chapter. He begins verse number 1 by saying, Now concerning the things whereof ye wrote unto me. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is actually a response that Paul is writing to uh, a letter that the Corinthians had sent him. Now, unfortunately, we don't have a copy of the letter that they sent. 
There were all kinds of questions there, but we don't have a copy of that letter. And so as we read 1 Corinthians, what we're actually getting is like one side of a telephone conversation. When you listen to somebody that's talking on a phone in a room where you are, you only hear one side of the conversation. You don't have any idea what the other person is saying. And so this is what we're looking at in 1 Corinthians 7. Uh, The Corinthian people ask Paul some questions. We don't know exactly what the questions are, but we get some insight by reading the answers that Paul gives. They're asking him questions about marriage. Now, one of the things that we need to understand about the people in Corinth is that none of them had the advantage of growing up in a Christian home. There was none of them that was saved at an early age, and then through the rest of their life, they were raised as Christians. And neither did these people live in a Christianized society. When Paul came to Corinth, he found pagan people. They were living in all sorts of wicked practices. They were into different kinds of deviant lifestyles. And when Paul preached to them, these Corinthian people believe the gospel of Christ and they're saved and now they're Christians. Well, they have all sorts of questions that they want to ask Paul about this new life that they found in Jesus. And one of the things that they asked him about was about marriage. Well, as we go through 1 Corinthians 7, there are several uh, kinds of adults that are talking about, act, talk, talked about uh, in relation to marriage. And actually, there's three different groups that Paul is addressing here. In verse number 8, Paul speaks to the unmarried. And most people believe that who he's talking to are, are people who had been married, but now they're divorced. Uh, they had been married, but they've been released from that marriage. Then he mentions mid- widows in this passage. And that would be, of course, people whose mates had died. And under that classification, naturally, we consider the widowers. Then if you skip down to verse number 25, uh, he mentions another class of people. We're going to talk about them next week. These are the virgins or, or people who had never been married. And so Paul has something to say here to, to people who have been married and they're divorced. He says something to people that were married, but their mates died. And then he also talks to people who had never been married. And we're going to talk about that third category next week. And the title of the message next week is, Can I Be Happily Unmarried? And there are many married people who think, no, there's no way that you can be happily unmarried. But the Bible does teach otherwise. So we're going to talk about that category next week. And today we're going to consider those first two categories. Uh, Today we're going to answer three questions about marriage and divorce. And I warn you right up front that this will be hard for some of you. But we have to accept that the Bible is right. Whatever it says, the Bible is right. And if we believe that the Bible teaches us wrongly about marriage, or what Paul says about marriage is wrong, then that calls in question everything that we read in the Bible. And that would mean that even our salvation is in question. But the Bible is absolutely right on any subject that it touches. So we're going to answer some questions. Question number one that these people wanted to know about, should two believers ever divorce? That's one of the questions. Should two believers ever divorce? If you have a Christian man married to a Christian woman, can they get a divorce? Well, verse number 10 and 11 answer these questions. It says, And unto the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord, let not the wife depart from her husband. But, and if she depart, let her remain unmarried, or be reconciled to her husband, and let not the husband put away his wife. 
Should two believers ever divorce? And that's the answer to the question. He says, Paul says, the wife must not separate from her husband. The wife is to stay with her husband, even if there are problems in that marriage. Then he goes on and he says, if they do separate, then this wife or this woman, she must remain unmarried or else she has to be reconciled to her husband. And then, of course, likewise, we look at the other side of that, that a husband is not support, supposed to divorce his wife. Now, we're going to break this down just a little bit here to see exactly what Paul is saying in the passage. The first thing that he's trying to teach us here is that God's ideal will for marriage is that you stay together. God's ideal plan of marriage is that marriages should never break apart. Now, I don't think that any of us here would argue that point. Uh, It's pretty clear in the Scriptures. We don't really need to be convinced that marriages shouldn't break up. The Bible makes it clear. And so, Mr. Wolf, not standing, who'd been married 29 times, that marriage is not something that you put on and you take off just like you do your clothes. Now, Paul says here that Jesus addressed the question of marriage. And we find what Jesus told about marriage or said about marriage in Matthew chapter 19. I want you to turn there, if you would, please. And I want you to hang on to Matthew 19 because we're going to read several scriptures here as we go through the message. But Jesus taught about this and he had something to say about marriage. And when Jesus talked about marriage, he went all the way back to the very beginning, to the very first marriage. And the first marriage, of course, was Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Now, this is a marriage that God made. God's the one who made the marriage between Adam and Eve. So Jesus quotes from the book of Genesis. Look at verse number four, if you would, please. Jesus says, Have ye not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? And you might want to underline in your Bible the words there, male and female, because that's what marriage is. It's between males and females. Number five, verse number five, and said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore they are no more twain, or no more two, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. Now there, Jesus makes an overarching statement about marriage. God says that a man should cleave to his wife. Now, what that word means, it's actually a word that means to stick together like glue. You ever had super glue on your hands? You get your fingers stuck together. What do you do to get that off? There's only one thing you can do. You have to literally tear the flesh to get them to come apart. That's exactly what this scripture is saying, that God has joined people together. And what God has joined together, the Bible says we are not to tear apart. Now, understand that very clearly. You need to understand it. God has joined it together. And so what that means, according to Jesus, is that God is the one who makes a marriage. Now, a marriage license is not something that makes a marriage. The state needs that. You ought to have it. I mean, absolutely, uh, marriages, civilly, that, that needs to be done. They need their paperwork and all that. But the Bible does not teach that that is the thing that makes the marriage. It's not the ceremony you go through. It's not wedding rings that you put on. It's not cake that you eat. The thing that makes the marriage is when God joins people together. Now, we acknowledge it with all those other things, but the marriage is actually God joining people together. A few months ago, I was asked in Sunday morning forum class, are marriages made in heaven? Well, in this sense, they are, because God is the one who makes a marriage. God 
takes two people. This is God's operation that he unites those people into one. And so you, should you try to separate what God has joined together? And the Bible's very clear. Paul says, no, you're not to do that. But Paul recognized that people don't always live up to God's standard of marriage. And so he brings up this. He says, what if you do separate? Well, verse number 11 gives the answer. But and if she depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband, and let not the husband put away his wife. So here's what he's teaching in this regard. That is, if two people separate, the thing that they're supposed to do is to seek reconciliation, and they are not to divorce. So two Christian people, when you have trouble in the marriage, the Bible says, if separated, seek reconciliation, and you don't get a divorce. Now, I'm going to put this in the case of the wife today, because that's the way that Paul states it. But I want you to understand, when I'm talking about wife, I'm talking about both sides of this. We're talking about the husband as well. So he says here that if the wife separates, she's to be unmarried, remain unmarried, or else be reconciled to her husband. Now, we all know that there are various things that come up in marriages, lots of trouble. There's abuse in marriages. There's, there's violence sometimes. And in that case, I think it's the best for two people to separate. Uh, a wife should get away from her husband in that case because that's the safest thing for her to do. But the Scripture says, I mean, according to the Scriptures, the wife is not to divorce. Now, now she, she's not free to just go get a divorce and just live any, her lifestyle or do whatever she wants to do. And that's because the marriage vows are sacred. This is a marriage that's been made by God. And the only reason uh, that anyone would ever break up a marriage is because somebody in that marriage has sinned. They've sinned. And I, and I want to tell you that, that our failures do not override God's bond. We may sin and we may do the wrong thing in a marriage, but... That doesn't override God's bond of a marriage. So a wife is always to seek reconciliation. Now, there are times that we think that marriages are just too far gone. There's too much water under the bridge. Too many things have happened, and they can't be reconciled. But God has the ability to work things out. God can rebuild marriages. But, folks, that can only be done if both parties in a marriage are willing to reconcile. You can't reconcile one side without the other. So sometimes problems do become insurmountable and people will end up in divorce. Now let's go back, though, to that overarching statement that Jesus makes. What is it that can end a marriage? Now go back to Matthew chapter 19. We read verses uh, 4 through 6. Now we want to look at verse number 7 because it appears that these Jews that are talking to Jesus, that they have an, an argument Looks like they have an argument in favor of divorce. They say unto him, this is verse 7, they say unto him, why did Moses then give a command to give a writing of divorcement and to put her away? They're asking now, if we can't get a divorce, then why did Moses uh, say that it's okay? And why did Moses give us a law concerning divorce? Well, Jesus answers and he says, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, suffered you to put away your wives. But from the beginning... It was not so. And I say unto you, whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for the cause of fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whoso marrieth her which is put away, doth commit adultery. Now here we have two people, and let's say that uh, 
They, they, one of them wants to reconcile, either the husband or the wife, they want to reconcile the marriage, but the other person in that marriage does not want to reconcile. So two Christians end up getting a divorce. Is that person who is divorced allowed to remarry? Well, look at verse number eight again. It says here that, that Moses gave that law because of the hardness of their hearts. What Moses was doing was putting a law in place to regulate what was already taking, taking place at that time. But it was never, never God's intention for the marriage to break up. Now, people say, well, that's awful hard for me to take. I mean, my husband or my wife decides to divorce me. I'm a Christian and the Bible says I can't get married. That's hard for me. And it was hard for the disciples because they followed that up. They said, well, if that's the case, then, then it's better for us just not to get married. And so verse number 11 is hard for people to take. I must stay unmarried if my husband or my wife divorces me. But that is exactly what the scripture says. Now, Jesus says you cannot divorce. But is there an exception to what he says? Well, I believe that Jesus does give one exception. And this is the only one that I can find in the Bible. Uh, This holds good for all marriages. There's only one exception that Jesus has given And he gives this in verse number 9 of Matthew 19. And I say unto you, Whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whoso marrieth her which is put away, doth commit adultery. Now you see that word there, fornication? Remember, we talked about that back in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 when Paul said there's somebody in the church and, and they're committing fornication and you need to do something about that. Fornication is a word that covers a multitude of sexual sins. The word comes from the Greek word pornea, same word from which we get pornography. So it covers all different kinds of sexual immorality. Now, some people will try to get very strict about this, and they're very adamant about this, that the only reason that you can get a divorce is because of adultery, and they mean this is where one spouse... Uh, leaves that marriage and they go out and they have an affair with someone of the opposite sex. But the word fornication here actually covers more than that. It would cover homosexuality. It would cover sins of incest. There are other types of sexual immorality that are involved in what Jesus says here. And it's not just adultery. Now, let me make the next statement, though. The third statement is that sexual immorality permits divorce, but it does not demand it. Now, the Bible teaches that sexual immorality on the part of one of the spouses would permit a divorce. God permits the bond to be broken, but the Bible does not demand that people get a divorce. And so if that occurs in your marriage, you may decide that, well, I don't want to get a divorce, that I want to reconcile, that I want to forgive that person. Well, you can do that because the Bible does not demand that if this happens in your marriage that you have to get a divorce. And so there are marriages that do survive, things like adultery. And so you can decide to stay in that marriage. But even if you do get a divorce, I mean, even if it's because of adultery and that happens in your marriage, understand that is not God's perfect standard. Something has gone horribly wrong in that marriage for God to say that it's permissible for this marriage to break up. Somebody in this marriage, maybe even both, have to go into horrible sin. But if it's for any other reason, if people divorce for any other reason than what Jesus gives here, that is not a valid divorce. And the Bible teaches that if you go on and you marry someone else, that is an act of adultery. So if you are a Christian and you're married to another Christian, 
God's standard says you stick together, you make that marriage work, you work out your problems, you take every effort that you can to make sure that you can fix that marriage. Now let's go on to a second question that's asked here in this passage. Question number two is, should a Christian spouse divorce an unbelieving mate? Should a Christian spouse divorce an unbelieving mate? Now in Corinth, there were a lot of mixed marriages. There were people that got saved, and they were married to someone who was an unbeliever who didn't get saved. And we see that a lot in churches today. Most of the time, it's the wife that gets saved, and the husband doesn't. And, you know, the husband says, I don't want any of that Jesus stuff, and he refuses to become a Christian. So what are you going to do then if you have a wife or a husband, if your spouse is not saved? Well, there's a reason why they ask this question. And they ask it because... As Bible believers, the Bible does say that we're not to be yoked together with unbelievers. So what if that unbeliever that you're married to keeps dragging you down in your Christian life? And what if they make your life miserable? Is the best thing that you can do just to get away from that person? They're an unbeliever. Just get your kids, take yourself, get out of that marriage and say, that is the very best thing for me. I've got to get as far away from this marriage as I can get. Is that what you're supposed to do? Well, there are lots of people who think that. They think the best thing for me to do is just get out of the marriage because my mate is an unbeliever. But you know, God's Word addresses that as well. We find it in verses 12 through 16. Paul says, But to the rest speak I, not the Lord. Now, I want to stop right there because we need to understand what Paul is saying. But to the rest speak I, not the Lord. What does he mean by that? Does he mean, well, what I'm doing here, I'm just giving you my personal opinion. And I really don't know what Jesus would have said about this, so I'm just going to tell you what I think about it. That's not what Paul means at all. What Paul is saying here is spoken under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. What he means is that when Jesus talked about such things, that he did not address this particular question. And we can read throughout the Bible, there are a lot of subjects that Jesus didn't speak about specifically, But what Paul says is written under inspiration. Now, this is just like Jesus spoke it himself because really Paul has the Spirit of Christ in him. The Holy Spirit is in him, telling him to write these things. So when you pick up your Bible and and you find black, black letters in your Bible as opposed to red letters, don't think that the red letters are God's Word and the black letters aren't because all of this is God's Word, and we pay attention to all of it. So what Paul says here is a direct inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Now look at verse number 12. But to the rest speak I, not the Lord. In other words, Jesus didn't talk about it, but I'm going to tell you what God told me to say. If any brother hath a wife that believeth not, and she be pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away. And the woman which hath an husband that believeth not, And if he be pleased to dwell with her, let her not leave him. For the unbelieving husband, now that means that pagan husband that we're talking about, is sanctified by the wife. And the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Else were your children unclean, but now they are holy. Here's what we need to understand first about what Paul is saying. First, we need to understand that conversion frees us from sin, but it does not free us from our relationships. When you get saved, it is true, you're freed from your sins, but you are not free from earthly relationships. So you have a Christian man, and he says, well, now I believe. I've become a Christian. Now I'm set free from all these things. Well, you're free, all right. 
You're free from sin, but you're not free from your mate. And the same thing holds true for, for a wife. She's not free from her husband. So Paul goes on here, and he gives us a couple of illustrations to tell us that we're to remain in these human relationships that we have before we're saved. Now, verse number 17, he says, he gives us a, an example of circumcision. But as God hath distributed to every man, as the Lord hath called every one, so let him walk. And so ordain I in all churches. Is any man called being circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. Is any called an uncircumcision? Let him not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing, but the keeping of the commandments of God. Let every man abide in the same calling wherein he was called. So he says, here you have a man, and he is a circumcised man. He should not seek to be uncircumcised. Now, I don't want to go into all of this, but there was actually a procedure that they used then to make a person or make a man appear that he wasn't circumcised. Now, back in those days, they had public bathhouses, and for one reason or another, a, a man might, might not want to appear that he was like a Jewish person, and so he would go through an operation that would make it appear that he wasn't circumcised. Now, Paul's saying, you don't need to worry about that. You don't need to do that. And then on the other hand, you might have an uncircumcised man. He's a Gentile. And someone comes along and says, well, now that you're a Christian, you've got to become just like the Jews. He's a legalist, and he says, you've got to abide by Jewish laws now. What Paul says is that you don't have to worry about anything. Nothing like that, because circumcision makes no difference at all as to whether you're a Christian or not. It doesn't affect you at all. So don't worry about that. Whatever relationship that you have, you stay in that. Then he gives another illustration, and this one is about slaves. In verse number 21, Art thou called, being a servant? Care not for it. But if thou mayest be free, be made free, use it rather. For he that is called in the Lord, being a servant, is the Lord's free man. Likewise, also, he that is called, being free, is Christ's servant. Ye are bought with a price. Be not ye the servants of men. And of course, Paul faced this uh, among early Christians in the Roman Empire. Uh, there were something like 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire. Uh, it said that one half of the population was enslaved to the other half. What Paul says here is that if you are a slave and you can buy yourself out of slavery, that's all right, you ought to do that. But if it's impossible for you to do that, then you remain as a slave and you serve your master to the best of your ability. You, you present... The, the attitude of a good Christian, because don't worry, because you're free in Christ, even though you might be a slave to man. Well, a lot of people ask the question, why doesn't Paul encourage slaves to run away from their masters? I mean, slavery is a horrible thing. Why doesn't he encourage them as fast as you can, with all of your ability, get away from somebody who puts you in slavery? Well, Paul doesn't tell people to do that. And if you're wondering why... I preached about it several weeks ago on a Wednesday night. You can get the CD and listen to it because I don't have time to go into it now. But, but Paul says you don't do that. You remain in that relationship that you're in. So he compares that then to the marriage. So Paul is using these illustrations to show you that when you get saved, it does not change your earthly relationships. Now he sums that up in verse number 24. Brethren, let every man wherein he is called there abide in God. So if you're married to a person who is not a believer, you should not seek to get out of that marriage. Well, why don't you? 
he gives us that answer as well. Verse number 14, he says, For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Else were your children unclean, but now they are holy. So here's what Paul says. If you have an unbelieving mate, then here's the thing you do. You do not initiate a divorce. Do not initiate the divorce. Rather, what you need to do is you need to seek to influence your family. There's a lot of confusion here about verse number 14. Some people think that when one person in the family, and they actually teach this, when one person in the family gets saved, that that stands good for the entire family. That it doesn't matter what the rest of the family's relationship is. As long as there's one person in that family that's saved, that's all that matters. But the Bible nowhere teaches that. The Bible teaches that salvation is a personal thing. It's personal faith in Jesus Christ. Does it make any difference what your wife does or what your husband or your children do? You need to receive Jesus Christ personally. It's a personal relationship with him. So I believe that what Paul is saying here is that there are actually two indications about marriage in this. Now, the first is that a marriage between an unbeliever and a believer is a marriage that is sanctioned by God. If you were lost and your husband is lost or your wife was lost before you got saved, and then one of you gets saved, that is a marriage that is recognized by God. And Paul is saying that the children of that marriage are not illegitimate children. They've been sanctified by God. And so God doesn't consider these, these children to be born from an unrecognized marriage. So that's the first part of it. The second part of it is that the person who's saved in the marriage can become a positive influence on the one who's not saved and can be an influence on the children of that marriage. Now, uh, God can use that mate. If you have an unsaved husband or an unsaved wife, God can use you to bring that unbeliever to the Lord. Now, usually, this is not always the case, but as I said a moment ago, usually it's the wife that's saved and the husband is not saved. And we see that lots and lots of times in churches. The wife gets saved, but the husband does not. But did you know that the Bible actually has a very special word for a woman who has a husband who's not saved? Peter talks about it in 1 Peter 3. He says, Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives, while they hold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. Now, let's remember who's talking here. This is Peter. Peter is a married man. Now, I know that those in the Roman Catholic Church don't believe that Peter was married and They say Peter was the first pope, and so he wasn't supposed to be married. But the Bible says he had a mother-in-law. Pity Peter if he got a mother-in-law without a wife in the process. So he was a married man. But what Peter is saying here is that a husband can be won over by the behavior of the wife. In your King James Version, where you see the word conversation, that doesn't mean just things that you say. It means the way that you live the manner of your life, the way that you live. So Peter is saying that an unsaved husband can be won by the behavior of his wife. So the very best thing that you can do, if you're in a marriage like this, ladies, if that happens to be your case, you live your life like a Christian before your husband. You do Christian things. I mean, you you show a Christian example, and the Bible teaches that you can win your husband to the Lord through that. But we notice something. 
that the Bible does not say, ladies, that you could win your husband to the Lord by nagging them to the Lord. Now, that's what happens a lot, too. There are wives who who just stay on the man's back all the time, and they're pounding him over the head with the Bible and Christianity all the time, and just on and on and on. I heard this story about a, a lady who was a very dynamic person in her church. She was a worker in the church. She always went to church. She was always there. But her husband would never go to church. So the pastor decided that he would go to the husband and he would find out what was wrong here. and Maybe he could help. Maybe he could win her husband to the Lord. And so he went to him. He said, why don't you ever come to church with your wife? And he said, pastor, you don't understand. He said, the only peace and quiet that I get during the whole week is with those hours that my wife is at church. And he said, if I have to go to church to be with her, I don't think I could stand it any longer. That's what a lot of people do. They don't understand about this, that the right way to do it, give that message to the person. You need to do that. But then you step back, you be quiet, and you just live your Christian life before your mate. And it may be very possible, according to the Bible, that you can actually love your husband to the Lord. So if you're married to an unsaved person, don't leave that person. Stay there. Do all that you can to win your husband and to win your children to the Lord. Be an influence in the family. Now, there's a third question here. The final question we want to answer today is a little bit different. What if a non-Christian chooses to divorce their Christian mate? What if a non-Christian chooses to divorce their Christian mate? Now, let's go over what we've been talking about. God's standard is way up here for marriage. And God's standard says you are not to break a marriage apart. Christian people are not supposed to get a divorce. If you are a Christian in your marriage and your spouse is not saved and everything's going okay there or the marriage is going to stay together, that's fine. You should do that. Stay in that marriage. But what if this happens? What if you're married to a non-Christian and they decide that they are not, uh, not going to stay with you? They're going to initiate a divorce against you. They don't want to be married to you. What do you as a Christian do in that case? Now, sometimes that other person, they absolutely will not allow you to live to God's standard. So what are you going to do about that? Well, he answers this in verses 15 and 16. But if the unbelieving depart, let him depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases. But God hath called us to peace. For what knowest thou, O wife, whether thou shalt save thy husband, or how knowest thou, O man, whether thou shalt save thy wife? So if you are married to an unbeliever and they choose to divorce you, the Bible says, let them go peacefully. Let them go peacefully. One of the worst things that can happen in a marriage is a marriage that ends up in trouble and in fights and all kinds of that going on, an ugly divorce that that hurts children, hurts family, hurts relationships. God's not pleased with that. And so if an unbeliever decides that they want out of the marriage and they're unwilling to stay with you in that marriage, then God says that you do not have to contest that divorce. You can let them go ahead and divorce you. So you're not under an obligation to keep up that relationship. Now, let me explain something, though. Now, sometimes this happens, that two people get divorced and this unbeliever comes back and they want to get back in the house again. And that believing mate lets that person back in. They've been divorced but they start to live like a married couple again. That is not right. 
You can't do that. You're not in that relationship anymore, so you don't have the right to do it. So what do you do then as a divorced spouse? Now, here you're a Christian, and you couldn't live up to God's standard because that mate would not allow you to do it. They decided to divorce you. You didn't contest the divorce. What does that mean to you? What do you do? Here's the second thing. Remarriage is not permitted unless the bond has been broken and then only to a Christian. Now, that's a long one. I'll give you time to write it down. Remarriage is not permitted unless the bond has been broken and then only to a Christian. Now, what do I mean by the bond? Well, remember what Jesus said. Marriage is a union where God joins one flesh to another. The overarching principle of marriage is that this is a lifetime arrangement. And the only reason that a marriage can ever be broken, only one reason given in the Bible, and that's because of fornication. So I think that the Bible is teaching us that when fornication has happened, then the marriage bond is broken. So if you are a a, a believing person, you're a Christian, and the unbelieving spouse divorces you, you cannot remarry unless fornication has taken place, unless that bond has been broken. I know that there are in many churches pastors who teach that abandonment is a reason for divorce, that if your husband or your wife leaves you and they divorce you civilly, that now you're out of that marriage, it doesn't make a difference what you do, that it's no longer binding. I don't see that in the Scripture. I don't see anywhere where there's any reason for divorce except exactly what Jesus gives, and this is for for the cause of fornication. That seems pretty clear. So what do you do? The Bible says you must remain unmarried. But here's almost what always happens in these cases. The one who initiates divorce, they'll usually go out and they'll get married or they'll live with somebody. And you know what happens then? The bond is broken. The bond is broken. And so when that happens, then remarriage is permitted. But here's what the scriptures say about remarriage. Now, if you're a Christian and your mate divorces you, then the Bible teaches that the only way that you can be remarried is that bond is broken, and then this second marriage must be only to a Christian. You can't marry anybody but a Christian. And I warn you to check out the testimony of that person, see what they're really like before you marry them. Now, how do I know that the Bible says it can only be to a Christian? Skip down to verse number 39. It says, the wife is bound by the law as long as her husband liveth. But if her husband be dead, she is at liberty to be married to whom she will. Listen, only in the Lord. Now, that is a principle that holds true in all marriages for Christians. It can only be in the Lord. Now, this is where that other scripture I mentioned just briefly a moment ago comes in. In 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 6 It says, be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness? That's a scripture that applies to people who are not yet married. And so when you are a Christian, when you are ready to get married to somebody else, it always must be to another Christian. And if not, that's against the will of God. Now, we're just about finished today. Very quickly, we're going to look at four principles about divorce and remarriage. Four important principles about divorce and remarriage. The number one principle is, 
God hates divorce. Now, how can I say that? Well, because the incontrovertible rule of all marriages is that marriages are for life. So, divorce can only happen when God's law for marriage has been broken. So, God hates divorce because that's breaking his law. Now, understand, I didn't say that God hates divorced people. God hates divorce. And if you've ever been divorced, and this usually affects somebody in the congregation, if you've ever been divorced, you know why God hates divorce. I mean, there's pain associated, sorrow, heartache that goes with divorce. You understand why God hates divorce. Principle number two is if you separate, reconcile. Now, this is between you and God, but if you've been divorced and, or you're going through a divorce, God wants you to do everything that you can to seek a reconciliation for that marriage. Now, sometimes you can't do that. You can't, sometimes it just doesn't work. The other person refused to be, to be reconciled. Now, it's between you and God. You're the only one who knows if you've done everything that you possibly could to fix that marriage. But that's the principle. If you separate, you do your very best to reconcile. Number three, remarriage without repentance and attempted reconciliation is sin. Remarriage without repentance and attempted reconciliation is sin. Of course, we know that doesn't apply to widows and widowers, unless you're the one that killed your mate, then it might, be, it, might, uh, it might apply to that. But if you're a person that divorces and you've remarried someone else, that is a sin. So if it's happened in your life, the thing that you need to do is ask God to forgive you. And it doesn't make any difference what percent of the problem that you were or think that you were and what percent you think your spouse was. That doesn't matter at all. It's a sin against God, and the Bible says that you need to repent of all sin. So here's what you do. If you've been involved in that, if you've been divorced, you just say, God, I've sinned. And what I want to do right now is to turn my life around and I want to live my life from you for now on. So divorce is sin and remarriage can be sin in some cases. And then finally, I want to make this statement. And this is, you know, let's make this the redemptive statement of the whole message today. Principle number four, grace is greater than our sin. Now, if you've been through a divorce, I don't want you to think that when you come to church, the thing that you have to do, you must wear a big red letter D on your forehead that says, I have been divorced. If you've been divorced, that does not mean that God can't use you again. I do not believe that a person who has been divorced and they have repented of that sin that if they're remarried, they're living in perpetual adultery. I do not believe that. And the reason I don't is because God forgives us of all sin. And so if you've entered into that, if that's your problem, you need to remember, I must repent of this sin. God's grace is greater than my sin. God doesn't expect you to put toothpaste back into the tube. You can't do it. And so you just repent of that sin. And when you've repented of it, then you're ready to move forward for God. So here's what I want you to remember today. Are you married? Most of you here are married. Then you need to do this. You need to make a commitment to the Lord that no matter what happens, no matter what happens, you are going to stay together. That's God's standard for marriage. And if you're unmarried, then you need to seek God's will for your life and find out who God wants you to marry. Marry the right person. Marry only in the Lord. And I promise you this, that God will bless your life. And that's what Paul has to say about marriage and divorce. Let's pray. Heavenly Fathers, we come to you today. I, I just ask you, Lord, even though we preach an unusual sermon for Sunday morning, 
but one that's needed in our times. And Lord, I just pray that you would speak to hearts today, those who, who may be even having trouble in their marriage right now, that they would understand that your gold standard for marriage is for them to stay together, help them to fix their problems, work them out so the marriage would not end. And Lord, we pray for anyone here today that uh, may be divorced. Uh, we know, Lord, that you forgive sin, but we must acknowledge that that is sin. Your, your word says so. So we ask you, Lord, that people will repent of their sins and turn their hearts to you. Then, Lord, last of all, we pray today for someone here who is not saved. The message has been mainly to Christian people, but I pray for someone today who is not saved. They don't recognize you as the Lord and Savior of their lives. May they understand that they must trust you personally. And the difference between trust is the difference between eternity, eternity in heaven or eternity in hell. Speak to some soul today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's